Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Polly McMaster, CEO and founder of The Fold, a British women's wear brand creating empowering clothing for professional women. Having taken evening dressmaking classes at school, Polly seriously considered, in her own words, a fashion career, but chose science and a PhD in virology, as you do, before starting her career in consulting and private equity. While in the male-dominated finance sector, Polly struggled to find high-quality, comfortable, tailored clothing designed with female executives in mind. She spotted a gap in the market for a more contemporary label that made women feel powerful and feminine, professional and stylish. In 2012, Polly launched The Fold with a capsule collection she created while studying her MBA. The Fold now sells internationally to more than 20 countries and have partnerships with Smartworks, a charity providing clothing for women re-entering the workforce and with Manchester City Women's Football Club. It's great to have you here, beamed in from wherever you've been. 2012, Polly, let's go back. Why? Why then? What made you do it finally? How long had you been thinking about creating your own business? So in thinking about starting The Fold, I think I probably would need to wind back a little bit further than the year 2012, because it really all started when I had my first job after leaving university. And I was a little bit older because I'd done a PhD, as you mentioned, in virology, which was quite random. So, you know, mainly wearing a lab coat. So when I got my first job, I was actually really excited about sort of the concept of being a bit of a city slicker, heading into the big smoke and, you know, dressing up and feeling, feeling a bit cool. And I really love fashion. I've always absolutely loved fashion. So I had really sort of visions of myself sort of rocking up and and feeling amazing. And when I went shopping for my first suit for work, I was really genuinely shocked. I mean, the choices were, were pretty terrible and quite frumpy, quite masculine. And I was really surprised because I thought, gosh, this is, you know, a lot of people going to work every day, wearing their work clothes. And at that time, of course, this is way before even any concept of hybrid working or anything. And this is around 2004, is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you, you know, you're wearing your work clothes five out of seven days a week. And then if they're actually pretty dreadful, that means you're wearing pretty dreadful clothes five out of seven days a week, which is a, a miserable, you know, sort of concept. Yeah. So that had actually planted a bit of a seed for me because I really noticed that the men in the office were very smart. They had a lot of choices for their smart suits. And it was, you know, quite corporate environment. So nice tie, nice slick suit. And the women, it was so much harder for us to figure out what on earth was going on. And nobody also really wanted to say because it was a bit awkward because most of the partners were men. So this sort of direction or who to look at, to look above, to go, you know, what direction should I follow was quite minimal because there are only about one or two senior women anyway. So I then went into private equity, very much the same sort of themes arose. And then when I went to business school, it was that chance to kind of break free a bit. So you're not on the treadmill of working till 2 or 3 a.m. You've got far more sort of creative spirit in your mind. Lots of people were talking about entrepreneurship and so on. And I just had this feeling that was this something that just bothered me, this dressing for work, the lack of clothes for work, or was this something that could be a bit broader? And the other thing was that there was 
a real movement about women in business. It was really starting to become a theme, a topic. Everybody was talking about it. Women's networks were cropping up. At business school, there was a women in business club. So these things started to merge together a little bit in the sense of, oh, actually, there's a women's conversation here. There's a community here that could be crying out for something. And on the fashion side, there's a real gap in the market. So that was where it all really started to come together. And that choice of yours, and I want to pick up on the the female conversation, the women's conversation that was beginning in a moment, but that choice of yours to leave one world, which was the world of consulting, to move into private equity with Apex Partners at the time, and then to do the MBA, what precipitated you going, do you know what, this is an interesting treadmill, I'm learning stuff, but I'm going to stop and go and do this this master's? So... I actually was a little bit resistant, if I'm honest, because I'd already done, I felt, quite a lot of university and studying because I'd already done the PhD. And I thought, I really want, you know, the school of life rather than going back into an academic environment again. But on the other hand, I think what I also saw was that a lot of the senior people in the organisation at APAX were quite well-rounded, they had big networks, and that was where the real value, I think, started to be added because when you looked at those senior people, it was about tree-shaking, it was about generating ideas, and you're not necessarily going to do that sitting in an office. And people would, you know, when you go to business school, it's about the networks you create, the people that you meet. You're rounding out your education fine, but actually for me it was really much more about, well, it is a chance to actually go out and learn from a broader network and ironically, the school of life alternative, which was, you know, carrying on working, was probably a bit more insular because I would really have, have then been, you know, you're working all the hours, you're on the treadmill. So it was quite freeing in a sense to then go off to business school and, and be able to explore a bit more broadly. The journey you describe, and I always look at the guests I'm about to meet, I go, there's a person that went to great school, Cambridge, and then you do London Business School. And all of that, I go tick, 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 structured predictable is the wrong word, but just kind of blue chip academic qualifications. And then Polly says, you know what, I'm going to use all that to set up my own business. That makes you different. Where did you, how did you jump from one to the other? Because I get the idea that where are all the clothes for me, this doesn't make any sense. I get that. But then leaping, putting those two things together, actually saying, I'm now going to take away all the structure. I'm going to go for it. Where's that from? I think for me, it's a lot less random than it looks on the outside. And I think there are probably more dots to connect. So way back in school, I really, when I say I was obsessed with fashion, I mean, it was the 90s. It was supermodel era. It was Calvin Klein, Donna Karen. It was, I found it super exciting. I was so obsessed with it. I remember writing some random German school dissertation on Karl Lagerfeld. (laughs) It was just like, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so... I couldn't really afford, at the time, there was there was sort of, the high street was a lot more expensive and there wasn't kind of fast fashion. And I really wanted some nice clothes. So I sort of struck a deal with my mum that she wouldn't give me money just to go and buy some clothes with, but she would help give me some money if we went to the sort of haberdashery department and I bought a pattern and I went to evening classes and I learned to sew because she viewed that as sort of educational and mm. development, which I think was really smart of her, actually, because that was really sort of motivating. And it also committed me to, well, if I want those things, I'll make them. And that I think that was quite entrepreneurial of her, actually. So that's exactly what I did. I went to evening classes with a friend. We learned how to sew. We learned how to sort of cut everything out and, and put it all together. And funnily enough, I made a shift dress was my first thing I ever made, which was kind of not dissimilar to the look and feel of the fold in a, in a way. 
So it was interesting looking back and going, oh, some of the things I made were a little bit foldish at the time. But it was really about sort of exploring that creativity. And at school, I think the British education system is a little bit weird, actually, in the sense that you'll start to specialise maybe 14, 15, 16. And I found that really suffocating because I loved art and creativity and doing these evening classes and things that were really sort of far more creative. But on the other hand, I also really liked maths and chemistry and biology. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's a a balancing out there because I was kind of thinking, why didn't Polly just do it then? What would have happened if age 19 you would have just set up your own fashion house? I love the creative side and I have this real sort of burning passion for it in a real aesthetic sense. But that is very different from having the confidence in yourself and your own actual artistic ability. And I think although I really appreciate it and I really love it, I wasn't sure that I wanted to actually be the person doing it. And what I felt was that I also, like I said, loved things like maths and chemistry. And if I went and did science at university, I'd have far more to fall back on and to sort of build my life with. And then if I wanted in the future to go back to something more creative, that felt like that would be a bit easier to do than the other way around. And I, and I genuinely did really love science. And I mm. remember when I sort of discovered the, the degree course that I went on, natural sciences, and I really loved biology and loved discovering things. So I, I love learning. I'm a kind of polymath. I love absorbing things and being very general about it. So it was all about kind of almost taking any opportunity that I could to just learn, to grow, to do something different, to do something exciting. And, and actually, a lot of those things are creative anyway. Yeah. They're just creative in a different way because you're problem solving, you're thinking around something. And, and all of that can still be very sort of gratifying and, and, and very creative. So I guess if I then roll that forward, for me, the PhD was, again, too narrow. And I think I really recognised that by the time I finished that you become a real expert, but you become a real expert in something very, very tiny, in my case, extremely tiny, because it was literally one gene of one virus. And I needed far more breadth than that. So consulting was brilliant, because you're working with lots of different clients, lots of different projects. Private equity was brilliant, because you're also doing that, but you've got the added bonus of also then working with management teams and entrepreneurs. And I got to work on lots of really exciting sort of venture capital type projects because I was the most junior person in the team. So I got to pick up all of that as they'd moved on to sort of leverage buyouts. So that spirit of meeting these entrepreneurs, meeting these founders, doing a little bit of everything, I found so exciting and so motivating and energizing. And I think it was that part of it that then struck a real chord with me about, oh, well, Maybe that's something I could translate into something I could do on my own then. You've gone and investigated this little Petri dish of your own career and, and we've gone deep inside it and that's the PhD in you, the, the doctor in you, I assume. Stay with me for much more from Polly McMaster as we put together the dots so we can see the full picture of why she is who she is and why she founded The Fold. She's coming up in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Dereas, Victoria Piggott and Dr. Rebecca Newton organizational psychologist and CEO of Coach Advisor, discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Do you think there's anything specific that we can do to prevent the impact that many women find maternity leave has on their career trajectory? 
Yes, and I think some organisations do this very well. There's the question of, is this about having taken maternity leave or is this a question of having X amount of time out of the business in terms of your momentum? I'd say the pre-work that you do before maternity leave, like planning how things will work when a woman wants to come back to work and how that will work and, and to be strategic about as quickly as possible rebuilding that momentum is important. The other thing that, which is important for, for women who are going on maternity leave, but it's also important for people around them to understand is you don't actually know how you're going to feel about coming back to work until you're in that position and until you are deciding when to come back to work and, and after you've you know had the baby and started maternity leave. So I just encourage organisations to make sure that this isn't just box ticking of the kind of return to work plan and things, but having meaningful conversations with women as individuals, making sure that we are as flexible as possible, clear that we are as supportive as possible, that we're excited to have them back and want to do everything that we can in order to support them as they regain momentum with their work and, and their business. And the other reason this is important to do is that increasingly men are taking longer periods of paternity leave as well. So this isn't just a women's issue. This is something for all parents and for other people as well. I think there's things where people want to step out and take periods of time away from their work. And, you know, the more flexible we can be as leaders in an organization, you know, we're more likely to create environments where there is real mutual trust and respect and, and you're likely to keep the best people or to have them come back, to have them be successful in the organization. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop the words Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today is Polly McMaster, CEO and founder of The Fold, a British women's wear brand creating empowering clothing for professional women. So we've joined the dots a bit, Polly. We've got this point about, aha, I now tick the box of polymathic. I tick the box of learning. I tick the box of exposure to all these different people. And there you are with your insight, which is the market needs the fold. What happened then exactly at the beginning? When, when did you sort of give birth to, to this thing and how did it feel at the time when that happened? So at business school, myself and a friend, Cheryl Mainland, who I did my MBA with, we did the entrepreneurship summer school at London Business School and we started to work on this concept as an idea. And that was really the beginning of it. So it was exploring contacts and asking people in the industry, doing lots of research with other women that we knew at business school and from our previous careers and finding out whether or not there was a proper market for it and also were we actually going to be able to meet enough people to you know, make some clothes and, and build a business. So we built the beginnings of a business plan while we were doing the MBA and kind of used any bit of any course that was even remotely relevant to sort of test out another bit of it and, and figure it out a bit more. We came to a bit of a juncture because at the end of our MBA, Cheryl, who I'd worked so closely with on this project, her husband got a great job in New York. So she had this opportunity to move to New York. And in some senses, we were like, oh my gosh, this is totally fabulous because 
New York feels like an obvious market for what we're trying to do. So let's go and do some testing there as well. So we spent quite a bit of time doing that. But then we had to make a bit of a decision because we started talking to people about, okay, if this really is an idea, do you think we could get funding for it? Who would we talk to? How would we get it off the ground? And everybody was like, guys, you know, you can't do this in two different cities. You've got to pick a lane. It will end up a bit of a disaster. And, you know, blindly, we were so sort of naive and excited. No, no, we can make it work. We could do it. Obviously, that would have just been completely impossible. So eventually, the penny dropped and Mm. we had to make a bit of a decision. She went off actually to join another startup in the end, which was great for her because she got to keep going with the entrepreneurial buzz, but do something else. And I then had to make the decision, do I crack on with it or do I use this as the opportunity to then go, actually, it was, it was great fun, but no, I'm now going to go and you know take my job back. But you did it. You went and for I did it. it. I just want to check something. There's a, a brilliant thing which I'm going to come on to. I think that you're a huge campaigner, which we will bring out shortly as well. You launched, I think, earlier this year, pretty recently, the Start With One campaign, which is about encouraging women to invest and also more investment in women. And the, the things you said in terms of starting up your own business, I want you to say yes or no, honestly, whether you did these things. It sounds like something you did. Did you conduct in-depth research before you launched your business? I think the answer is yes. Yes, definitely. Did you review your finances? Yes, definitely. Good. Um, did you have a strong vision? Absolutely. This is going really well. Strong, <laughs> strong support network? Yes. And have you stayed motivated? Yes. There you go. You see, those are the five things that I think you have, you have said <laughs> are really important for other women thinking about starting their business. That's a relief, isn't and it? And that's, that's good news. And on that note, we're going to have some more music because we're going to come back to how you're bringing that to life right now, 10 years in. It's Polly McMaster. She's my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. I sort of said the checklist in a slightly glib way, but it's a serious thing. There's substance behind it. You are now 10 years in. Before we get on to the business and the economics of it and the fundraising and so on and so forth, tell me a little bit more about the design aesthetic. I mean, as a bloke, you know, I'm, I'm obviously only as ignorant as I, you know, as, as I appear to be, which is relatively high. But from your point of view, you mentioned gently that actually if you look back at the stuff you were looking at when you were much younger, it's come through. What else informs your own predilection as it comes to building the different capsule? The most important starting point genuinely for our product is our customer. And I feel that because of my background, I really know that customer very well. And the creative, I suppose, concepts around that really come from a sense of confidence, a sense of femininity, of celebrating how you want to feel at work and feeling quite individual and standing out for the right reasons. It's been quite interesting how workwear has gone on a bit of a journey over this time as well. And with that, I think our clothing and our collections have become more expressive, more colourful, more engaging because some of the barriers have broken down. I'd like to think we've been a bit of a part of that as well. The world has changed and moved on a bit. And I think women are now feeling that they can bring more of their personality into the workplace and express that through their clothes. And culturally, things have changed, apart from even the way that women's role in the workplace, which has fundamentally shifted that conversation you're talking about, the meta theme of post-COVID or even during COVID, which lends you to a much more relaxed way of looking and a relaxed way of living, that must inform the way that you've thought about the designs of the clothes and the, and the materials and the way they fall and so on. Apart from the obvious, where do you get the inspirations for next season's range? Where where does that come from? Because I remember speaking to Thea Green about nail colours, which, believe it or not, I was really interested in. She said, well, this is what we do, but what's the equivalent for you? 
At the fold, we have a really authentic and originated sort of um, design process. We have a fantastic design team led by our design director, Katia Maschenko. And she really takes it back to looking at cultural points of inspiration. So she and other people in the design team would go to galleries. They would be looking at different artists' inspiration. They would be looking at colours at different parts of the season. They might go to other events like the opera, the ballet, and they will be taking a little... It's almost like you could just start with one little point, and that's the beginning of a colour palette, the beginning of a print, and then they expand from there into the into the drops that we work into. So when we're working on our collections, we we actually go through the season, we deliver a lot of new product. So most months we're delivering new product to our customer, and then we're layering onto that the end use of the product. So where is the customer actually going to be wearing the product? And that's how we sort of frame the collection. So is this occasion where something she's wearing to a really formal, perhaps social event that crosses over with work? Or is this something that she'll deliver a TED talk in or mm. go and get her MBE in? Do, do you think about Polly, the 24-year-old that entered the workplace? Does, does that Polly come up as well? Absolutely. Because I think it's about who did she want to be and how did she want to feel? Put together standing out for good reasons, really elevated and just fundamentally feeling good about yourself. We'll have our final chat with my guest today, Polly McMaster, and we've some Stanley Tarantino, I hope I said it properly, and Shirley Scott for you too. That's all coming up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Polly McMaster is with me just for a few more minutes. When I look at your business and I see, we've just talked about product, which is obviously fundamental. Without the substance of what you're actually selling and it working, you have no business. But on top of that, I and I'm thinking now back to the way you described strategically thinking about, well, I've got this degree, I need my maths and my science, I need that robust underpin, but actually I can flourish creatively, which is, which is exactly what you've done. The other things you've done with your business and your brand is you thought about deeper questions around funding for women. You've thought about collaborations which immediately bring, uh, you know, a modernity to the brand, whether it's with football players or whoever it might be. But you've also thought about the charitable side and this this charity support and smart words. It's almost like you've got your blueprint, the poly blueprint, and then you go, right, how am I going to do this and how does that evolve over time? Am I, am I right in the way that you've looked at this or have these things evolved more naturally? I think some aspects of the partnerships and the way that we've built the brand up are really integral to the business from the very beginning. So we've always had this concept of the fold woman, so putting these incredible women in the spotlight and going, wow, they should be celebrated because they're running marathons before breakfast and they've got four kids, then they're this amazing partner at a law firm and these women are incredible. Nobody's even talking about them. We should be talking about them. We should be giving them a community and a platform and inspiring other women who can be going, ah, I can see it, so I can do that too. So that kind of narrative around really thinking about these women and and just putting them in the limelight is is so much at the heart of, of the fold. I think as we've grown and developed, new and exciting aspects of that then sort of come up some of them quite sort of opportunistically and some of them very specifically. So the the partnership, for example, with SmartWorks, 
was really important to us because we always wanted to find a way to do something that would connect us as a brand. And then we've got these incredible customers with women who they can't, you know, they can't, if they're going for a job interview to get back into the world of work, and often they've had really difficult circumstances, they're not going to realistically be able to go out and buy a new interview outfit. But it's really important for their confidence. And they also get coaching for those interviews at SmartWorks. So being able to connect directly with a charity who is doing that was really, really fundamental. So that type of partnership was very much strategic, mm. really important to us and really important to sort of underpin what we're doing and, and give the, the business a sense of purpose and really support our mission. Something like the, the partnership we formed with Manchester City Women's Football Club is very exciting and actually feels quite sparky, quite fresh a really different way of sort of saying in a sort of play on words, but like taking the city out of one bit of the city and then putting it into a different city and going, you know, let's break free of the sort of corporate box. And actually those women want to be prepared. They want to be taken seriously. We're talking about glass ceilings. We're talking about gender equality. It's all very well, but every single men's club in the Premier League has a luxury partnership to for the men to rock up at the derbies in their amazing suits, but none of the women's teams did. Mm. So to be out there sort of pioneering and looking at things differently is is super exciting. And I think those types of partnerships are going to be where we'll hopefully break new ground and get women to think about things in different ways and, and really explore their connection with clothes, with confidence, with, with work, with empowerment. It's very, very exciting. There's a couple of things you said, um, Polly, and, and you, you strike me as someone who's very thoughtful about how you've gone about this. These things don't just happen. There's a, you know, you've been thinking about this since you were in your teens and here we are now 11 years into, into the business. You talk about breaking out of the corporate box and now you're a successful founder. You've raised a bunch of money, millions of pounds over the years. Have you become more comfortable being you in the last 11 years? And if so, what does that look like in terms of leading the business today and leading the business tomorrow? I think I'm absolutely more comfortable me being me. It's really interesting to think how influential doing the business has been on me personally. I think it's it would be easy to sort of make a very quick leap from, oh, you're an entrepreneur. And I think when you start, you don't feel like that at all. You feel like you're just muddling around. And frankly, it's it was so difficult and so draining and hard and so many sort of obstacles to overcome that I think on each step of the journey, you don't even realize the growth that you're going on because you're just putting one foot in front of the other. You're focusing on the next stage. And it's only really we had our 10-year anniversary last year. And when you take these moments, these milestone moments to look back and you think, gosh, yeah, actually, would I have had the confidence to stand up in front of a room and talk about this? Would I have had the confidence to even sort of start the business in a funny way? Not really. It has happened and I did do it. But it's not like, it's not as as obvious as that or as easy as that. It really is so much more of a, of a journey. And I think the people that I've met, the the difficult times that you go through, it all, it all shapes you. And, and I, feel, I feel very privileged to have had that experience because I think it's enabled me to see so much, meet so many incredible women and go on that journey and, and hopefully then, you know, do more and more exciting things with it as I sort of continue to grow and develop. But it's been hard. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty and congratulations for getting this far beyond 10 years now keep going good luck for the next 10 I'm sure it's going to be fabulous just before I let you disappear what's your song choice and why have you chosen it so I've chosen Rose Room by Django Reinhardt or played by Django Reinhardt 
I was introduced to him. I was trying to think back of exactly when it was, and I would have been a teenager. And my parents are both very musical, and my mum listens to a wonderful array of music. And I think there was something about the the guitar, the the lightness of it, the the spirit in it, that it's almost like you can't help but tap your feet and feel a little bit lifted. And I was actually listening to it the other day, driving along near the seaside, and it felt like this sort of fresh breeze coming through. And and I just thought, oh, that I think that's the perfect, the perfect track. That was Django Reinhardt with Rose Room, the song choice of my business shaper today, Polly McMaster. She talked about loving learning, a constant desire to find out what's really going on in the world. She talked about standing out for the right reasons and the fact that that's exactly what the fold has done to empower the women that wear their lovely clothes. And really importantly, the journey she's been on, she talked about being able to be herself and be more herself now, 11 years into running her business. Really great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.